0: We are Saxon and Nico. And in November 2021, we went to the COP26 in Glasgow to interview different voices, including decision makers, scientists and environmental activists. We attended COP26 as part of the research for our series, Mission Find Aral, which tells the story of the Aral Sea. In the space of 40 years, the Aral Sea turned from the world's fourth largest lake to the world's youngest desert. Despite the fact it is considered by the UN as one of the worst environmental disasters of the world, it is a situation lesser known by the general public. At COP26, we wanted to learn about the other lesser known environmental issues and about what actions and solutions are needed for a better future. My name is uh, Joseph Masembe. I uh, represent an organization called Little Hands Go Green, which is uh, basically a non government organization that focuses on the tomorrow. Little Ones Go Green is focused on teaching children environmental conservation education and activism because the future belongs to them. We are stuck in COP26 in Glasgow with millions of adults, people running up and down, with fewer voices for the youth and the children. Of late, in the past couple of years, the youth and the children who have taken on activism for climate change have been focused on walking the streets, doing strikes. So we have the greater Thunbergs and the rest. But we looked at it that even with COVID, you find that our our spirit of association has been dwindled and reduced. So we can't do that so more. And we cannot be known as a generation that just goes on the streets and protests with placards. We need to take action now. So Little Ones Go Green came up with a model that says, whereas the technocrats and the policy makers and the global institutions and the governments are running up and down, talking the talk, let us walk it on the ground with the things that we're able to do. For instance, Little Ones Go Green has children who plant a fruit tree in every home, in every school. And the idea is if my daughter Michelle plants a tree when she's seven years old, By the time she gets to 15 years old, that tree will be 8 years old. And you never hear people cutting a fruit tree. And fruit trees will give vitamins, will give vitamin C, will give proper nutrition, but also the increase of green cover. So, looking at COP26, I'm particularly concerned, and that's why I'm here, with the disconnect between the global south and the global north. The developing countries are thinking big, they are thinking reduction of emissions. They're thinking global. They're thinking methane. They're thinking nuclear energy. They're thinking. They're thinking big. However, deep down, in the remotest places of Africa, in Uganda, in a place called Bududa, in eastern Uganda, a lady wakes up in the morning, worried about the landslides that will sweep away their livelihood, their generation, and years of what they have come living. In the Congo, a volcano erupted and swept through an entire village. Now, those people cannot be thinking greenhouse gas emissions. They are not even thinking about net zero. Theirs is a different struggle for survival and understanding. But it is all entirely climate change. So climate change affects all of us. So how does the discussion today, and I had the opening ceremony the other day, and everybody's talking about climate finance, so many billions, so many... How do those trickle down to the person on the ground? The person in Guatemala, in Sri Lanka, in Uganda, in Kenya, in Tanzania, in Rwanda, deep down, in a place where oil has just been discovered. But one of the oil fields is in the, the richest areas of biodiversity, the Albertine Graben region, which houses the greatest and uniquest species of flora and fauna within the region. So how do the countries, France, China, all of these through Total and uh, I don't know, SinOC and all these other people that are actually drilling the oil, how do they promise that one, their drilling processes, the pipeline, and whatever it is, will be able to keep our biodiversity intact, but still be able to give the countries who have discovered the oil an opportunity to to, to dig themselves out of the economic depression that they are in. Now, COVID-19 has exasperated that situation in so many ways. Many of us don't know. People in the UK think that much of what we are going through is because of Brexit. It's a mix between Brexit and COVID. Same, the economies all over the world have been badly affected. But as much as that has been is a constant that we have to learn to live with, we have quickly adapted to learning to live with COVID through vaccination and the rest. Why has it taken us so many years to learn how to live with climate change unlimited? From the Kyoto Protocol, the Bali Conference, the, the, the Paris Agreement, we have had so many conferences and conventions. There's COP1, COP2, COP3. From the Rio Summit up to today, it was in 1992, I guess, we're still talking climate change. The US was reluctant to become part of the story. So many years ago, until floods closed down Wall Street for four years, for four days. Guess what? They came to the discussion. We see 100-year hailstorms and and, and thunderstorms now happening almost every every year. They have become so close to us that we now give them the names that we give to our children. Hurricane Isaac, Katrina, Jasmine, who, I I mean, (laughs) they are so part of our life that we are now beginning to get accustomed to them. That should trigger a thought process behind us. We need to think beyond the greenhouse gas emissions. It was okay so many years ago for people to say, we can put up all the industries and factories, pollute as much as we can, for as long as we get a few dollars, go to some country down there, and then tell them, you know what, plant some trees for us. Then we make up some carbon credits to cover that. You enrich them a little bit, but it is not a permanent solution. That's why we are panicking now. Because the temperature levels have become unprecedented. So we need to act now. The the Paris Agreement was beautiful, nice. How much of it has been actioned between then and now? And I think even before we start the discussion on COP26, it should have started with a major focus on what are the wins of COP25. What are the failures? How do we make that better? How do we make that different? With actionable, practicable, practicable solutions. Which I, maybe they are, maybe they are not, but I'm waiting to see. My biggest concern is the disasters that have been happening. So many years ago, adaptation was a story for the Global South. Adaptation was about, you know, the developing countries can focus on adaptation because, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. You have floods in Belgium, you have floods in Turkey, you have fires in Turkey, in Italy. At the end of the day, adaptation has ceased to become an issue for the global south. Now Europe is panicking. You would see fires happening in California every day, in Australia every other day, every year. But this time, because of the kind of climate change we have, it has exasperated them. So they're happening a lot meaner, a lot fiercer, a lot faster. There is chaos across the board. and we cannot sort this chaos out from the conference rooms and the calls, and with double standards. We need to walk the talk. We need the global north and global south to merge and say, yes, we want net zero, we want a reduction, you know, cleaner energy, renewable energy, beautiful. But that is a story for what? the developed countries what solutions we have for people who live on subsistence, who wake up in the morning and focus on agriculture, to feed their families and their children, as well as agriculture for commercialization. People are worried about floods sweeping their homes away. People are worried about uh, uh, hailstorms driving them. People are worried about locusts. The other day we had locusts all the way from Yemen, coming into the Horn of Africa, sweeping it up and leaving no crops anywhere. So at the end of the day, why, what, what does COP26 have for that kind of person down on the ground? A person who cannot sell their maize, who cannot grow their coffee, who cannot grow their beans, who cannot grow their... This needs to be the discussion. And I, am, I, I haven't seen it as a big agenda in COP26. Maybe it is happening somewhere on the sidelines. The talk is within climate change activists and civil society. They're the ones who are doing the talk but they don't take the decisions. So I would love to see our leaders here making an amiable stand for the little hands who are the future of tomorrow. Because we do not inherit this earth from our parents. We simply borrow it from our children. Because when we go, you leave everything to your children. So it literally is theirs. So what are we thinking about? These children are gonna wake up tomorrow and we're going to hand them a planet that we have really messed up. And if they would have the opportunity to say, you know, Dad, you really messed this up. I mean, if, if, if I had that opportunity, to tell my child that, you know what, I'm handing you, I've left you a fund, it has uh, 100,000 uh, pounds on this account, I have an investment fund for you, I've left you four properties, I've done, you know, that is what you would love to give them, in terms of the financial material stuff. So, what are we going to say? Alongside that, I've left you a planet where you'll not breathe easy, where you're going to die of so many funny diseases. Because so, can we attach that to the packages that we are leaving our children and physically talk about it? You have people waking up in the morning, flying all the way to the moon to just see how it is because they have the money. Beautiful. What exactly are the same people who have all that money doing for the environment? It's one thing, so I made Tesla, I do this, I do that. At end of the day, There are simple things that we can do, like supporting nature-based solutions as a climate strategy for the Global South. Because that is where our livelihood comes from. The people who live there focus on farming and agriculture on the land, that is the focus. So let us create solutions for them, not just talk about climate finance. Because they keep saying, oh, Africa is corrupt. Then they are saying, let's increase climate finance to send it to people you claim are corrupt." So let's do, yes, let's get the climate finance, which is good, but can we find some more practical solutions for the people who are in the global south? So for me, that is my call to action. And um, as we said, little ones go green, our environment is our future, our future is our responsibility. So let's do whatever we can to ensure that the children will inherit a planet that they are proud of, that they can live in for generations to come. You don't forget to visit us, go to YouTube, look up Little Ones Go Green. Just, you don't even have to do anything else. Plant a tree. Fruit tree would be best. Stop, stop littering. Plastic pollution. We talk about you know doing away with plastic pollution here, and we are doing single-use plastics in Africa. People have been struggling with that. We have not gotten to a level of development of saying do away with the plastics. So how do you help us create solutions that can integrate us into a plastic-free world and economy in Africa? My name is Joseph Masembe. Catch us on Twitter, Little Ones Go Green, Joseph Masembe1. Little Ones Go Green, Twitter, I sign up. So powerful, so powerful. (laughs) so inspiring. Yeah. Thank you. I just have uh, one quick question. Um, from two, two of the points that you were making were about disconnects yeah. from the global <coughs> north to the global south yes. and from the older generation to the younger generation. Yeah. Do you, have you heard of anything uh, in, your, you know, in your activities, in your campaigning or maybe even at COP? What, what can be used to bridge those gaps? I think for me, two things that are very important and powerful that will bridge that gap. The younger generation believes in art, believes in music, believes in science and technology. So let us get art, music, science and technology to bridge that gap, to create a better understanding of the challenges we face in this climate change era, but also how we can actually literally provide solutions. I'll give you an example. When we, when I started Little Ones Green in 2012, everybody was telling me that, can we just plant a forest We we'll give you Large chunk of land? I said, no. I want to deal with the mindset. So I told the government, that give me 10,000 fruit trees. And I went and told children, I'm going to give you one fruit tree. I told them, do you love to dance? They said, yes. Do you love to model? Yes. Do you love to sing? Yes. Can you really spice up your talent? They said, yes. I said, OK, listen. Come to this event. When you come, you sing, you dance. We do green fashion. At the end of the day, I give you a tree, you go and play. So I created a Disney-like event called the Green Festival and they came and had a blast. Then I said, listen, we're only enjoying this because the outdoors are there and because we commit to taking care of the environment. So take this tree, go home and plant it, and then next time we come back and do the same. So now it became a norm. So they said We ended up planting in excess of 600,000 fruit trees, different schools, different homes, not in my house, not in one different piece of land, but we sowed a seed in each one's head. So they became green ambassadors, climate ch- justice ambassadors. Because we went through a medium that they understand. Music, fashion. Right now everybody is into technology. People are creating things. Why do we not get science and technology? Let people find it and people say I want to do an app. Wherever someone litters, it will blip and say beep, 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 someone has littered. Wherever someone plants a tree, let's go to the basics speak the language that they understand. And that is how we'll bridge that gap. Because at the end of the day, they are a different generation. Even me, today I was speaking to my son, and he's telling me that you know, he's crypto, he's an NFT, and you need to do this, and he was telling me things that, I told him, you know what, that, that sounds like Chinese to me. I don't understand it, but he understands it anyway. So we need, if I want to reach out to him, I told him, I want to give you 200 pounds to invest for me. So we started, because that's his language. If I want to reach out to him, I need to appreciate him in his direction. So that, for me, would be the biggest way to bridge that. The second thing is the same way we have a COP26. We need to have some sort of COP. That all these suited people are nowhere to be seen, where the focus is on the people in the jeans, the the hoods, the work, and they sit somewhere and say, listen, you know, we're in a crisis. You tell us, what we do? Then, you know, they will tell us what they can do or what we should do for them. They will own it. That needs to be the discussion. But we always wake up in the morning, we come and sit and have so many discussions. then we can throw it on them. Then you have a few handful of activists who are youth, who are up and down excited about this. But the majority of them are out there on their laptops, and their Instagram, and doing Snapchat and TikTok and what. How have we integrated them into the discussion and the story? So for me, that's it. Let's talk their language. Let's use them to speak the language of climate change and fine-tune it into a direction that they understand. That is how we'll make the real progress. Peace out. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you.